So we come from South Australia where it is pronounced Lego. 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 Welcome to the little picture. It's great to have you along. Thank you. Thanks for having me. I loved Lego Masters. I, I, it was just a wonderful show. It seemed like just everyone was was friends on that show. Yeah, definitely. Like the cast were all really, really good friends with one another. We got along on and off set. We hung out with each other heaps. Um, afterwards, went out to dinners a lot and the movies and the museum and stuff. When we had downtime, like we just hung out. Like literally, everyone hung out the whole time yeah we made really good friends with everyone we still chat like to this day we've got a chat group that we all use pretty much every day um even the cast and stuff like the crew sorry we got along with the crew really well made some really good friends with them and it was just yeah completely wholesome from like every angle yeah comes yeah across in the show because you watch some reality tv shows and there seems to be a lot of animosity and uh tension but that there seems to be genuine devastation when you know, you weren't the one to go home, but someone else was. And <laughs> yeah, yeah, definitely. If I remember correctly, Josh, you spent at least an hour trying to affix that squid around the back of that pole. Yes. That is the best hour you've spent on Lego Masters yet, <laughs> by a fair margin. A few fan questions about Lego Masters, just from myself, really. Your your favourite challenge out of all of them? Um... The the challenges where we uh, there wasn't an elimination on the line is yeah. when everyone's most fun just because that wasn't looming over your head in the background. So I think one of the most fun fun ones that we had was the shake plate challenge yeah. where we had to build the tower just because we pretty much wanted to just give anything a go. We we're like, oh well, let's just have a crack, and we had a lot of fun doing it. Um, and the result was really funny, and we just had a really good time that episode, and we had a lot of fun building that. Yeah, and definitely the eliminations are when you've got the most. Yeah, right? absolutely. So you, you, you just necessarily you still enjoy it because you're having fun and you're building with Lego and it's a kid's story, but they're definitely the more stressful ones. My wife and I had a date night recently where we um had our own little Lego Masters challenge and um <laughs> I, I found that tense, <laughs> building to a time limit. What was the best thing that you feel that you built? Yeah, I think a lot of different ones for different reasons, but my favourite one... Uh, that we did was the cowboy riding the bull yeah, okay. off from the 3D picture frame. I guess the main reason for that one, it was definitely one of the bigger ones that we built, but it was also the most complete. So we kind of stepped back from that one and went, yeah, I don't reckon we could add anything more to it to make it better. Whereas a lot of the other ones you finish and you're kind of like, oh, I wish I could have done more here. I had more time to finish that. Whereas that one we finished. We obviously won that one, so that was pretty cool, and we felt like we definitely earned it because it was a hard build to do, and we were really happy with the result. Brickman, what do you like about this? It's incredible. It's absolutely what 3D art is. You have something literally leaping out of the picture frame. Our hardest challenge, you sort of discussed the elimination stuff. Did you think of... Would there be a challenge that you would have loved to have done? Can, have you thought since, is there a challenge that you would have loved to have done? But Well, I guess to go back to half of your previous question, like the hardest challenge for everyone was definitely the hanging brick. That one was just by far 
way more technical than any of us were prepared for, I guess. It was very left field. So when they did it, like gave it to us, we were kind of like, oh, like how much weight can this hold? Like how do we <laughs> balance everything on this one tiny brick in the middle? So literally every team struggled with that one a lot. So that was definitely the hardest one. Um, even we like had to stop almost halfway through and pull out of the part and start again. So yeah, really. Definitely, definitely one of the most challenging ones. Contestants, we joked about building underwater. Yeah. It's happening. Well, a lot of the time throughout the competition, we we all kind of tried to predict what was coming next. And we like we predicted a few of them by absolute fluke, which was hilarious. <laughs> but the ones that we were kind of like, oh, I wonder if this is going to happen. I wonder if this is going to happen. One of the main ones that I discussed, Mitch Trend and I discussed, was some sort of um, technique challenge where it involved moving parts. Yeah. Had, kind of, had to kind of be a part of your story. So um, whether it be like a car and you have to drive it from A to B or whether it's like put three different moving parts in it with motors to create your story or something like that. Yeah. And we were kind of preparing for that. And it never came up. <laughs> I'm actually not sad about because using motor function is very difficult. Yeah. And it requires a lot of like engineering and a lot of uh, like mathematics to just work out all your ratios and your gear changes and all sorts. It's very complicated. I'm kind of glad that it didn't come up. Would have been very hard. Yeah. But uh, at the same time, I was we were kind of preparing just in case. Absolutely. Well, last year there was that. There were the two engineers that just were guns that. At the uh, building, the the roller coasters and all those moving parts and those sorts yeah, of things. Yeah, definitely. Was there anything from the show that you would have loved to have been on there that didn't make the final cut? There's obviously quite a lot of things that don't make the cut because they've got a lot of footage to sift through. They've got to pick and choose what kind of stories they want to tell um, for each team. So yeah, there was heaps cut, but like. And as I was watching them, I was kind of going, oh, they didn't put that funny thing in happen. They didn't put that <laughs> funny thing that happened. Um, but Can you nothing, think of an example of one of those things? Nothing, I would say, stands out like brutally obvious that um, that I was like, oh, I wish they put that in. There were all just lots of really funny little gags that either Hamish did or we said or whatever it was that I was like, oh, I thought that was going to make the cut because it was pretty funny, but obviously yeah. they can't put everything in. So lots of little things. I wouldn't say anything big. Like a lot of the things they like for Trent and myself when we were building, I would say that ninety percent of the time we would come up with an idea, we would start building it, and then either Brickman would come over and say, "Yeah, nah, don't do that," or we would go, mm, "It's not really working. Let's stop and change." And we would change ideas like almost one eighty, like flip our idea around completely, and. Basically, none of them got aired. So we all, always got our second idea was obviously the one we would continue with yeah. the finish building. That's the one that got aired. So it looked like it was our first idea. Yeah. But quite a, quite often, we had a different idea altogether, like yeah, entirely. Okay. And they completely cut them out 90% of the time. Were you mates with Trent before the challenge? Uh, no. So I actually applied with another friend and we both... Uh, we're kind of on a waiting list for a really long time, so we thought that we weren't going to get on. And they called us fairly last minute and was like, yeah, no, we want you on the show. And my friend had to pull out because he couldn't get work off, so he was pretty devastated. Yeah. But they ended up keeping me on and pairing me up with Trent, who's also from Adelaide. We're both from Adelaide. Yeah. So we met only a few days before filming, and the first time we built together was on episode one. Yeah, so wow. We had a big learning curve on that 
in itself, just having not worked together before, not knowing each other's strengths and weaknesses and stuff. Um, but yeah, we were obviously pretty happy with how we managed to navigate that and how successful we were in the end, despite all that. And yeah, now we're really, really good friends. We still talk pretty often and catch up and, and one he, I catch up with his family. He's got two young boys and stuff, which are really nice family and lovely to hang out with him often. So that's been really cool. Yeah, cool. Yeah, shared experience that you've had, you know, your, your lifetime friends yeah. after that. Yeah, that's, yeah. that's wonderful. Stepping away from the show a bit, can you tell us how you became a Christian and, and your journey? Yeah, so as a, as a young kid, we all, our family always went to church and we I was always going to Sunday schools and, and being involved in church and uh, various different churches. We moved around a fair bit. And like over my schooling period from like reception through to year 12, my dad had to move around a lot for work. So we always like would find ourselves in a place and have to lift up and shift and move every few, few years um, for work reasons. And so I ended up going to, I think, about seven different schools over my whole schooling period. And that was really hard just because I wouldn't be able to necessarily uh, establish strong friendships with people before having to shift up and move and make new friends. And so there was all this, this huge inconsistency in my life very uh, constantly as a mm. young kid and through my early teenage years as well but um one thing that kind of remained consistent i would always go to these holiday camps um every school holidays like i just begged mum and dad to go because i really enjoyed myself they were awesome fun like hung out with the same kids every time we went so i made strong friendships with these people that i just continually saw every school holidays and would um learn so much about god in those circumstances and had really strong mentors and leaders who would be teaching me about God and who he was. And, and it was still stuff that I was learning at Sunday school, but it seemed to stick a lot more mm. in, a, in a camp environment where you have this temporary community and you're connecting with people on a different level. And they're really challenging, challenging you deeply to think about your faith and where God fits into your life. And so this consistency kind of almost became like an analogy for like who God was in my life. So even though life has all these inconsistencies and it throws all these curveballs at you, Christ stays the same and he stays consistent in your mm-hmm. life. And so that the camp was almost like an analogy for that and kind of made me go, well, it made me very quickly realize that um, I couldn't do without God. And so I became a Christian on one of these camps. And from that was like absolutely loved the campsite and had so much fun there that when I finished school, I took a gap year from uni and like deferred my uni course and went there for a year as a gap year because I wanted to go to this super fun environment and be like a leader all the time. And obviously it was a lot more complex than that when you go and work in an environment that you're only there for a few times. So you obviously do a lot of behind the scenes stuff, but really fell in love with that environment and, and realized my passion for working with kids and young people. And I mm. guess I realized that I wanted to be that leader, that mentor, that good role model for other young people just as other people were to me mm. and so I, I really developed that passion fairly quickly and ended up staying at a campsite working for 10 years working with yeah. youth, youth and young people um, which is like I guess something that's almost unheard of in my generation where we have a job for a year yeah. or two months so have, spending 10 years in one workplace was quite a heavy achievement and only still in my 20s 
Um, yeah, 28. You got long service leaving. <laughs> I, I, yeah, I got long service leave. That's how long I was there. It was crazy. And I was only like 26 at the time. I was 27. And so I worked there almost 10 years and um, ended up moving uh, down to Adelaide, back to Adelaide, because this was out in the country. So mm-hmm. I moved back to Adelaide where I was from and started working for my church that I was attending at the time in Adelaide in kids ministry. And through that, got an opportunity to work as a school chaplain at the, the school that's on the same campus as the church. And I'd already done a few chaplaincy roles part-time out in the country, one day a week for a small country school, kind of on and off for a couple of years. Mm. And so, and I, I gained like a huge, huge passion for working in schools at that point. So when this opportunity came up to work down at my church and, um, my, and the school that was attached to it, like, it really spoke to me. Like I was like, oh, this is really something that I want to do. So I felt God leading me in that direction, started doing that. And yeah, I'm still, I've been there for two or three years now and like absolutely love it. Working with primary age kids, the reception to year six, uh, working in the Sunday school kids ministry at my church and doing a lot of admin with that and working with volunteers and training them up and all sorts mm. of things like that. So I kind of have. A lot of aspects to my role, whether that's working with the families um, or the volunteers or the kids themselves, and I just love the variety of that. So I'm not always doing just one thing. Yeah, I like I like to be able to have that a bit of variety. But yeah, absolutely love working with young people and have a huge passion for wanting them to come to Christ, but also to grow, to challenge them, to see them reach their potential and stuff. Because like I said, that's something that people did for me when I was younger, yeah. and I just have huge respect for that. So kind of where I ended up being really passionate about as well. You mentioned you're involved in training, you know, lots of people in, in ministry and, and working with children. And what are some things that you found or advice that you found helpful in terms of equipping people to serve and, and to minister to children and to young people? I think the biggest thing is that, and it's not something you can really teach, but people just need to have a passion for it. Like I've mm-hmm. seen plenty of times people that are serving in an area where they're they're not necessarily passionate about and they'll just either serve because they feel obligated to or they've just been there for a long time so they feel like they should stay and when you lose your passion for it you don't really invest into it a hundred percent so i guess my advice for people is like if, if you're in a ministry area where you're not passionate about it you're not helping yourself and you're not helping the people you're serving either mm. you really need to find an area of the church that you are passionate about that you really love serving in so that it doesn't become a burden for you it doesn't become a burden for other people but rather you're serving out of joy out of love and wanting to give to something that you're super passionate about so that's probably the biggest advice yeah, I yeah, yeah. or even make one up like start doing a podcast or something like that um, <laughs> <laughs> yeah no that's um that's really helpful have, have you ever personally like you've been in ministry a long time have you ever felt like you've gone um, at, there's been times where, where you found it hard to get the motivation to, to be working and to be serving. Uh, and what have you done to try and lift yourself out of that? Um, I guess I've really been lucky in the sense that, like, I know at this season of my life, this is where I'm called to be. Like, working with kids and youth, and like I said, I've been doing that for sort of 12, 13 years now. Yep. And, like, as a teenager, I was even doing that in, like, as a youth group leader and stuff like that. So, I've just been doing it for such a long time and I still am super strongly passionate about it. And I guess I'm lucky in that sense that God has made that really clear to me that that's what he wants me to be doing. So in terms of that, I haven't really had a lack of motivation. There are obviously in every 
role, every job, things that you don't enjoy doing as much, but that's just part of it. And some days I have to like motivate myself to go like, no, I have to do this job mm. because it's actually a part of what I do, which actually feeds this other part, which is just as important. So it kind of, you're like, that's normal. Every job has things that you don't enjoy doing as much, but they can be quite necessary for achieving whatever yeah. goal you might have. So you just got to grind through those, uh, those, those difficult yeah. times sometimes to get to the parts that you do enjoy. Cause even working with kids and youth, like one thing that is, I guess really discouraging is when, uh, you work or invest really, really hard into a, a kid's life or a, a young person's life and you just feel like you're not getting anywhere with them and you feel like it's not going anywhere, that they're not, it's not sinking in, that they're not changing and that they even become like a, I guess, with, without calling them a failure, but like a, a failure story. Like yeah. you feel like, their life goes astray and you have, you, because you didn't work hard enough, you can feel like that you personally mm. failed in that. Um, and that can be really, really challenging. Like the job is really, really hard some days and those, those can be the most challenging ones. But on the flip side of that, you have huge successes and you have kids that really turn their life around or come back to you and say that something you've said to them has really challenged an aspect of their life. And, and that is the most rewarding thing and it makes up tenfold for all those times when you feel like you've not made any ground with, with other yeah. kids. So it's a hugely rewarding job. And yeah, those times definitely make it, make the rest of it worth it. And I guess the biggest thing is to remember that you can't, like you can't be the, the sole reason that someone, someone's life turns around. Mm. So even if it goes wrong, you can't blame yourself. You can't turn around and be like, I, don't, I wish I'd done more. I should have been there for this person. I should have said this, should have done that. Cause it's not really up to that. Like it's, God that's going to be changing mm. people's lives you only have a small part to play yeah. so you can't turn around and, and blame yourself if things go wrong you can only do what God has given you, take the opportunities God's given you, be intentional with how you interact with people and with young people in that sense and keep praying for them praying that God's going to turn their life around and let God do the work in that yeah. place. Yeah, you're not their saviour, as you said, like you know, Jesus is their saviour and he's the one that you, you play a small part in that Exactly. What advice would you give parents and, and grandparents? You know, it's, it's really easy to relate to kids when they're really young. And, you know, I've got a few younger kids, but, but as they get into, you know, that sort of year five and six age and start moving to teenage years and perhaps, you know, they, they don't want anything to do with Christianity or they're, you know, falling away or, or that relationship is, is just being strained. What advice would you, you give to, to parents or grandparents in that situation? Um, that is a more difficult one because I'm not a parent, so yep. I can't speak from a parent's perspective. I don't know what it's like to have a teenager or kids in general, so I can't really speak into that space. But like, I guess the only thing that I can see from an outside perspective or say from an outside perspective is you've just got to keep loving them. You've just got to keep showing them Christ no matter what. Like it's, it's, you're the, the parent in the situation, obviously. So you, you kind of want to have this balance between you're the parent, but also you're their teacher, you're their mentor, you're their friend, but you're also their parent. You kind of have to have yeah. this balance. So you really don't want to be the, the parent that is only always telling your kid off or only telling them the wrong thing or always forcing them to do something they don't want to do. You've kind of got to have a balance between that, which is important, obviously, as well as coming alongside them, being their friend, asking them how their day is going. 
being vulnerable with them to a degree as well. Like mm-hmm. if you're showing that you can trust them with things that you're struggling with to a degree, obviously younger kids can obviously only handle so much, but you know, to, to a degree you want to be showing that you can be vulnerable and teaching them how you want them to be with you. So if you want them to be talking to you and sharing their life with you constantly, like you've kind of got to do the same to, to set that example. And, and if you feel like they're disconnecting from you, find someone in the church or in their school that can really come alongside them and be a mentor. Sometimes they relate to younger people, and I find that that's where my role fits in quite well at the mm. school. They, because I'm not a teacher, they don't see me as a teacher, um, but they see me as like a, I don't know, a cool uncle or like a cool older person. <laughs> they, they really enjoyed spending that time with me because I'm not there to teach them stuff in a sense. I am, but I'm not there to teach them schoolwork. Yeah. Um, so they relate to me quite differently. So it is a really good opportunity for me to be able to connect with them, to teach them life skills that they might struggle to talk to their parents about. And I get a lot of parents coming to me saying, oh, hey, look, they're struggling with this. They don't seem to be opening up a home. Can you just get get alongside them, see how they're going and stuff? And that can be a really good way for me to even encourage them to talk to their parents about it yeah. or to just connect with them as a different adult that they don't always see every day when they go home and so i can then make try and rebuild that connection between them and their parents or even just be the middleman so i can relate relay stuff back to their parents as needed and be like look they're just really struggling with this maybe you could try doing this at home with them to support them in this way so it's just like another resource as well in that space so just finding people that they do trust that they can talk to because what you don't want is them to feel like they've got no one to talk to or they can't relate to anyone and suddenly they're keeping it all bottled up inside and, and it, that can be quite damaging so you really mm. need to find someone who can do it. For you personally as a Christian, I mean, this is a very general question because I don't know you at all, but, but what challenges have you had as a Christian? Um, working in ministry is very difficult because you are so uh, insulated, I guess, in terms of that most of the people that you interact with are Christians, most of the people that you are ministering to are either going, like I work at a Christian school, so all the kids that are coming, they aren't necessarily Christians, but it's a heavily Christian environment. Um, and you can become quite insulated, so you do have to, um, I guess, yeah, prioritize having other aspects of your life where you have opportunity to interact with non-Christians, because obviously we're called um, to be a light that shines to the world. And if you're only interacting with Christian people, then you're not ministering to non-Christians. So having that opportunity is really, really important. So I, I try my best to have areas of my life where I'm integrating with, I guess, the secular society in that sense and trying to be a positive role model in those spaces. Um, and I guess some of the most challenging things sometimes, and quite unfortunately, is when, and, and some of the hardest things is when Christians actually hurt you because mm. we're not we're not perfect we're none of us are perfect and, and christians certainly don't shouldn't claim to be um and i certainly don't claim to be but when someone who is a christian does something uh wrong against you then it can be i guess a lot harder than if it was someone who's, who's a secular person who doesn't believe in christianity because you feel like they should know better or they should be yeah. better sometimes so yeah. that in in working in ministry it's no doubt going to happen. and so that's, without, yeah, that's without giving names or anything like that, are you able to share an example of some kind? As to... When I was working for the campsite that I was working at, uh, 
one of the biggest reasons that I left is because the way that it was being run wasn't it wasn't positive. It was a very toxic environment but towards the end of my time there. And quite a lot of staff when I left left as well. So I think there was like five, six or seven full time staff decided to leave because it was mm. uh people were being mistreated, they weren't being valued, they were yeah, being uh pushed aside and all sorts, like very poor behaviour from people who would say that they're Christian and would say that they're doing things for God, but their actions certainly didn't reflect that. And that can be the most hurtful mm. uh, thing when it's coming from a Christian and someone that you're trying to reason with, you're trying to level with, you're trying to be kind to, and yeah, really damages your relationship with them. It certainly damaged my relationship with a place that I had worked for and loved for 10 years and felt like I was forced to leave. Um, under these poor circumstances and yeah it can just be really really challenging so I guess a personal struggle that I had going through that was just forgiveness and wanting knowing that like God calls us to forgive even those people that are our, are our enemies and I'm not saying that they were yeah. our enemies but like God calls us to love even our enemies and yeah. even our enemies yeah so even, even that really, those that don't apologize to us or something like that yeah exactly yeah. so it's something that I battled with for a really long time and I still struggle with it sometimes when I think about it, it just makes me really angry and really upset that I, I personally feel like justice hasn't been served when it should have been. But I keep coming back to knowing that God is in control and that God is the one that judges and that God is the one that um, knows all and is above all. And I, and I can see now, even though it was a really tricky situation and really challenging and it forced me to leave, that God had something better prepared for me. Mm. So coming to the workplace that I'm at now, like I absolutely love it and I haven't looked back at how amazing it is. Yeah. And so I know that God was wanting me to leave. And if something like that hadn't happened, maybe I wouldn't have. So because I was so comfortable there and was like striving in that ministry, like working really hard in that ministry and had a really strong attachment to it, that it may have only taken something like that or someone like that to actually get me to leave. So God was obviously working in that as hard as it was. I mean, you can see how often non-Christians talk about you know how someone hurt me in the church, and I'm not, and I don't go there anymore. I'm just, I just can't associate myself with it. You yeah, can see. That, that's the thing that's probably the hardest for me, in, yeah. just in terms of when people look from the outside into the church environment, to the Christian environment. Like that's not the message we should be sending. That this is how we treat one another, and that yeah. was probably the, again one of the most challenging things for me because, like, we that that doesn't bring people into the church, doesn't bring, bring people closer to God, which is ultimately what we're wanting to do. And so for people to, to act like that and then somehow try and justify behavior, mm. like poor behavior, it just really grinds my gears and it makes me really angry and upset some days. Do yeah. you feel, I, I feel like, because I'm a chaplain too at, at, at a school and like I often feel that, that burden at, at times in one sense that I am representative of, of Christ and I need to do that well and to bring him glory and honor, but often... Do you, do you feel that burden sometimes that, you know, I don't want to hurt this person or I could get it wrong? And Yeah, and, and yeah, we're obviously broken people and we all make mistakes and we have certainly, everybody has personality traits that tend, like, lean towards different sins. And it can be really hard to act in a way that God calls us to in a secular environment. And I've had it happen plenty of times where I've certainly made mistakes and not done things that I should have or, or whatever the case may be. But, We've just got to keep 
striving to be more Christ-like every day in those situations. And if we do something wrong, take the responsibility and the the, mm. the guts to turn around and say, you know what, I'm sorry, like I shouldn't have done that. That's not how I should have acted. This is how I, what I should have done. I'm sorry. How can I make it better? Kind yeah. of thing. So that you're actually displaying love, forgiveness, and stuff that Christ has given us as well. So, yeah, there's, it certainly is challenging because you do need to, I guess, portray yourself, not portray yourself, but you, you do need to shine God's light to the world around you mm. in all circumstances. And if you're working in a school that isn't Christian, then you obviously have a huge responsibility um, as, a, as a leader, in a sense, to be ministering to kids and to parents and to families and this was something that really crossed my mind even going on to Lego Masters. Like, I'm going onto a national television show and I need to act in a way that's going to reflect Christ in everything that I do. And I had a big worry that, I guess, even the editors could edit me in a certain way that would yeah. make it look like I made a poor decision or that I treated someone badly or I did the wrong thing. So it was something that I was consciously thinking about all the time. And I think because of that, I was probably a bit more reserved on TV than I am as a person. I'm a very outgoing person, right? like to be really funny and charismatic and whatnot. But I feel like I didn't withdraw completely, but I withdrew a little bit because I was really cautious about where I was stepping because I didn't want to for anything to be taken out of context. And luckily, Lego Masters is a show that's all about family. It's all about fun. It's all about supporting one another. It's all about being wholesome. So yeah. it was a really safe environment to be in, in that sense. But I could very easily see how it was operating, how it was running behind the scenes, and how that would be transferred into something like The Block or Married at First Sight yep. or Love Island, where they, they're, <laughs> causing drama. They're, they're pulling things out on purpose to egg you on, to rev you up, yep. to make you look bad. But that obviously wasn't this type of thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I could very much see how they could do it and that they easily could have done it if they wanted to on our show. But that obviously wasn't what they were going for. So yeah. I'm really grateful for that experience and that it was uh, just that. It was super fun and yeah. stuff. And, and, and that I was portrayed in, in a good way in that sense. Like I didn't, no, absolutely. Like, and as I, as I said at the start, I think you represented Christ wonderfully and, and even without overtly being given 10 minutes to preach the gospel, I think, you know, you, it was made clear that you're a chaplain and I think, yeah, it was made clear that. Yeah, you're a genuine, caring, uh, loving bloke, so I think that came across really, really awesome. As a school chaplain, LEGO is a really cool way to interact with kids. You can build really strong connection with them by building all sorts of crazy stuff. Yeah, yeah. I wasn't sure if they were even going to uh, put that in. Yeah. Um, like the backstory and whether they just said I would work in a store, whether they actually said I was a chaplain. But they, <laughs> they, they, they labeled it chaplain. So that was really, really cool. And I was really happy with that. Do, do you yeah. really build Lego with kids or they just chucked a few kids in the room and go into Lego set? <laughs> I, I do. I did before the show and I did a little bit, but yeah. not as much as I obviously do now. The kids are like absolutely going crazy at school and asking me to build Lego with them and showing me pictures of stuff they've built. And we just had a Lego competition that I was like, brick man, I was judging them. <laughs> So yeah, they've gone a little bit Lego mad, which is understandable. Yeah, absolutely. That's awesome. That's awesome. And and I guess just another note as well. It is probably I could imagine it would be harder to um, honor Christ on Love Island and glorify Him. But um. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that's fantastic. Well, Josh, I, I really um really thank you for sharing part of your story. I think yeah, it was it's great to see Christians out in the media, and and I think. Yeah, in a time where there's a lot of misconceptions about Jesus and Christianity and Christians, I think you you did an excellent job. So so well done. Thank you. If there was uh, in a few years' time, if there was a Lego Masters All Stars, would you? And you got the call up, would you? Would you say yes again? 
I'm begging for it. I'm really begging for it. Like, yeah, I've, I've had many conversations with Trent about this, and I am begging for an all-star season because I look at, like, what we achieved in this first season yeah. and, then, and what we kind of did in the finale and where we fell short in that sense. And I was like, I want another crack. We yeah. can win this. Like, I'm ready to go. I'm yeah. so pumped. Was it? Such, such, honestly, such a fun time yeah. that I, I would go back in a heartbeat. Did you feel that final, I mean, what an immense effort to make it. And it feels like that if there was a most improved award, you and Trent, like at the start, it felt like, yeah, it, I guess now that you say that was the first time you worked together, that makes some some sense. But, but yeah, you just sort of, to use a sporting term, you grew into the competition. Did it feel obvious who the winner was going to be at the end or you guys had no idea? Um, No, like we honestly didn't have any idea. And the thing about, like Brickman is obviously very good at his job. He knows Lego inside and out. He knows exactly what makes a good model and what doesn't. And we learned that very quickly, but we never know what he's going to say because he could pull apart anything in anyone's model. Like he could easily go, and I'm not really happy with this, and so you, you don't really know what he's thinking or what he what he's going to say looks good. And, and you might actually invest a lot of time into something that he doesn't even look at. Like <laughs> he'll just brush over and go, yeah, that's cool, but this this is a problem over here. And so you kind of sometimes, you, you can't prepare for that. So whenever Brickman comes to visit in any of the builds, <laughs> you're, you're on the edge of your seat quite literally just like, oh no, like what's he going to say? What's he going to pull apart? Is he going to tell us to fix something? Or you stress that a little bit at when he's when he's walking towards you. So we had no idea. We didn't know whether we had done well or whether we had missed the mark or what yep. exactly he was looking for. But after having done the experience and found out the result and stuff and heard, because we obviously did the build, we were out of the room when the public came yep. in. So we didn't know what their comments were, what they were voting for, what they saw. We don't even know what the final results were in terms of who voted for what. Um we obviously weren't in the room when Brickman gave his feedback on those models, like yeah. we are in all the other episodes. And we don't know what he voted for, like that never gets released. So we did have no idea. When we walked in with all the people cheering and applauding us as we came in to, for them to announce the winner, we had no idea. Um, so a little bit of like TV magic, they <laughs> recorded the outcome for Trent and I. So we came third and we knew that at the time. Yeah. But because they had 250 people in the room and they want to obviously keep the the results a secret they actually record both teams winning like andrew and damien and oh yeah so they record both outcomes and then they will edit the correct one in on the final episode so andrew and damien and alex and jackson didn't know who wow up until the day it was being aired so that's about five months later wow four, four months later so they had no idea so in a sense, I was kind of happy with third because I wasn't sitting on this <laughs> like burden, like thought, stress, anxiety for four months. Yeah, spending your money. <laughs> yeah, spending money that you possibly didn't have. Um, so we didn't know. And we looked at both Andrew and Damien's and Alex and Jackson, and they were both just like top level. They were really, really good. So many details that like they were both incredible. So it really honestly could have gone either way. And it was probably a really close one in the end. Yeah. Um, but we knew that we had invent, like, we kind of, um, decided to go with something extremely large yeah. to, to make it in scale with the characters that we would have been so successful with. We knew we wanted to do large characters. That was like a given. And we, when we landed on the theme of pirates, we had two options. And one was like 
the pirates landing on a beach and they were like digging up treasure and they might have been in a fight with the blue coats and stuff on the beach or a pirate ship, which is the other iconic thing. And we had the opportunity to run our ideas past Brickman before the episode started. Um, and he was like, pirate ship, you've got to go pirate ship. It's so iconic. It's, yeah. And we were like, yep, yeah, guess that's what we're doing. And when we knew that, we were like, well, okay, if the characters are this big, <laughs> well, whatever, how big they were, 30 centimeters tall, the pirate ship to be in scale has to be like massive. And we knew that. So we knew we had to do something huge. We had to basically double down the whole time to get it done. And we kind of compromised the finer details on our build to go for something mm. so large. So there were so many things that we did not get done that we wanted to. Yeah. And Brickman pointed that out in his feedback. He's like, oh, you're missing things on the back. You haven't got enough detail here and there. And there were, that was all stuff we had planned to do. We just completely ran out of time. So we went for size and scale over those finer details, which is what got us there in the end. Yeah. But at the end of the day, super stoked with that result. We honestly, like first of all, never thought I was going to get on the show because I did not think my Lego skills were up to par. But then to make it to the finale yeah. was the biggest win in my book. I, like when I said when we got on and I knew that I was going to be on the trend, the only thing I said was I don't want to go home week one. At any other point, I will be okay. <laughs> Just don't want to go home week one. Um, and yeah, we made it to the finale. We got to do every single build. We spent 147 hours building Lego. Yeah. Um, and you guys, and you guys probably won more challenges than anyone else on the show. Um, we did. We won the most yeah. out of everyone. So we actually won four challenges. Yeah. And then. Alex and Jackson and Andrew and Damien won three each. Yeah. So really, you guys came first. That was second. So. <laughs> I guess if that's how you want to look at it. You know, um, so, but, and we really hit a hit a, a chord with Brickman, I guess, and and Lego. Like everyone knew that what we were building once we kind of found our niche was good, and we knew it was good yep. because it was winning us the episodes. We're getting good feedback, so we were like, yeah, let's stick with this as often as we can because it works so well. So yeah, we just stuck to our strengths and. Yeah, honestly, super, super happy with third in the end, to be honest. Fantastic. Well, that's awesome, Josh. Um, I've had a great time chatting to you. So it's been it's been wonderful. And can I encourage you in your ministry to keep, yeah, fighting the good fight with um with kids and children. It's a really important thing and wonderful thing. So thank you for what you've no done. And uh, thank you for sharing. I really appreciate it. No worries. Thank you so much for having me. I won't speak for everybody here, but you've made me want to go home and make a pirate ship out of Lego. <laughs> that's awesome. Well done, guys. Thank Thank you for listening to the Little Picture Podcast. If you liked what you heard, please subscribe and give us a five-star review on whatever podcast platform you're listening on. Also, check out our Facebook page and like and follow us there. Here at the Little Picture, we are all about hearing the stories of ordinary Christians as they serve an extraordinary God. Until next time, goodbye.